Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. It's amazing. I heard somebody years ago say, you know, you want to amuse God? Tell him your plans. Get a laugh. He'll get a kick. But you want to amaze God? Trust him completely. Rely on him absolutely. Lay the need out and say, Lord, if you will it, I know you'll do it. And, and, and Lord, I know you can do it with a word. In part two of Pastor Sam's message, I'd Rather See a Sermon, we take up in Matthew 8, starting in verse 5. Herein we are shown the miracles of Jesus' healing ministry, and we also see the radical faith of those who, in that day and age, were considered untouchable, and we get to see Jesus' reaction to their faith. If a leper was outcast because of his disease, and he certainly was, a Roman and a Roman soldier would have been an outcast because, hey, they were hated by the Jews. And we come across this Roman centurion, an enemy of the people of Israel. They had taken the land by force. They had enslaved the people. And um, they had abused them and taken advantage of them. Now, they gave them relative freedom. They could do their religious things. They could hang together. They could do their social things. But if they got out of hand at all, Rome would come down heavy. So they knew that they were an oppressed people. And, and so this centurion comes. Now, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught us to love our enemies, to do good to them, to pray for them. And that love, of course, has to be practical, observable, tangible. Not like, I've got real warm feelings towards you, you know, brother. No, it had to be something. So this centurion comes. Now, centurion was a career soldier. He led 100 men. And this centurion stands out in scripture because like the leper, he comes to Jesus and then he humbles himself before Jesus and he places the need at hand right there in the face of Jesus, in the sight of Jesus. He comes and he says, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented, just like the leper, he makes no demands on the Lord. Now, listen, he could have demanded. He could have said, I've seen what you can do. I know what you can do. And I am commanding you to heal my servant. Would Jesus have been obligated to do so? Well, Jesus had already taught, go the extra mile, turn the other cheek. Whatever they ask of you, if they ask for your, your tunic, give them your coat also. So if it were demanded of him, at least in this context, I think, Jesus might have responded, but this guy doesn't come making any demands. He doesn't even ask him to heal him. He just says, this is the need. He, he lays it out before him. Why? Because he knows something about Jesus. How he knows it, I don't know. But he senses that if Jesus sees the human need, if he understands the human condition and he's able to do something, he will do not only something, but the right thing. So Jesus says, well, I will come and heal him. By the way, this was also unthinkable. No Jew, no Israelite would ever go into the house of a Gentile. Why? They would be declared then defiled, unfit for worship, unfit for service, unfit for fellowship. That's why Jews didn't eat with Gentiles and Jews didn't go into the homes of Gentiles and Jews didn't even want to bump against a Gentile. You see, you didn't have to be a leper to be an outcast. If you were a Roman, you were certainly an outcast. 
And it wasn't that you felt that way or seemed that way. It was that way. How does Jesus deal with his enemies? Well, you should know. The Bible says you were an enemy of God, that you were at enmity with God, and God loved you and sent his son to die for you. That's how he deals with enemies. How does Jesus deal with the centurion, his enemy in that day, having taught us to love him? He comes with the request. Jesus says, I'll come to your home. And he says, no, 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 wait. The centurion says, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now, listen, this again is real faith in Jesus. He believes wholeheartedly all Jesus needs to do is speak the word and there will be healing that his servant will be restored, that he'll recover. And he believes it based on what? Had to have been the teaching, had to have been the observation of his ministry. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Well, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. And he said to those who followed, you got to note that word. He marveled. I wrote in my margin there, W-O-W. It is really something when you blow God's mind. That's hard to do. It's, it's amazing. I heard somebody years ago say, you know, you want to amuse God? Tell him your plans. Get a laugh. He'll get a kick. But you want to amaze God? Trust him completely. Rely on him absolutely. Lay the need out and say, Lord, if you will it, I know you'll do it. And, and, and Lord, I know you can do it with a word. Even Jesus was amazed. And why? He said, I haven't seen this kind of faith even among those who were birthed in and raised up in the faith. Even among those who should have this kind of faith. Well, the centurion says, I'm not worthy. Say the word. He, he, oh, by the way, a couple of things related to authority because I kind of skipped it. Verse 9, some of you noticed. He said, well, I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And another, do this, and he does it. He's saying, I understand authority. And here's the principle that's being laid out for us. And many of us need to latch on to it. In order to exercise authority, you need to first be under authority. If you want to do something for God, you need to first submit to God. If you want to do something with us, you need to be submitted to the authority that God has placed over you. If you want to function in your home or in your workplace, on a supernatural level, you got to be submitted completely, not just to God, but to those who are in authority over you. The principle is, if we're submitted to authority, we will be able then to exercise authority. Well, Jesus says, assuredly, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, not among those who should have and could have, he finds it in this Gentile. Well, again, I say to you, many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed the same hour. Jesus says something, not in passing, but really foundational there. He says, listen, there are many sons of the kingdom. Those would be heirs physically, naturally, and even legally, at least in their own minds, to the kingdom of God. Why? Direct physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
That's the lot of the Israelite. But here's what Jesus is saying. Lots who are natural heirs will not end up being spiritual heirs. They'll not only not be in the kingdom, they'll be cast out of the kingdom. Why? Well, we're told in John's Gospel, chapter 1, he came into his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to these he gave power to become the sons of God, even to those who believed on his name. And so Jesus is saying, listen, there are many who will come expecting to sit down. They'll be like those who said, Lord, Lord, didn't we? And he'll say, I never knew you. We saw it in the end of our last study together. So the sons of the kingdom cast out, but many will come from east and the west. He's saying, hey, I am going to include, I am going to accept, I am going to bless and transform and use anyone who comes to me by faith and in faith. That's what the leper did. He came and he worshipped and he humbled himself before the Lord and the Lord touched him. And the centurion, he comes not for himself, but for another And he comes to Jesus and he humbles himself and he says, Lord, I'm not worthy, but you're able. Just say the word. And he ministers his grace and mercy in that situation. Now, when they come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. And he touched her hand and the fever left her. And she arose and served them. This, by the way, without belaboring the point, does point out that Peter had a wife. Why? If you got a mother-in-law, you got a wife. And so here Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Jesus comes into that scene. Why would Jesus even give us this story? Why would Matthew record this story? I mean, yes, leprosy, man, that's big and serious problems. And and hey, a Roman centurion loved by and blessed by God, man, we need that example, don't we? But why a woman? Listen, in that society in the first century, women were so, well, I'm not even sure I have, have the best way to explain it. Their potential their contribution was so minimalized and their person so marginalized that that women were almost treated as bad as slaves. And here's the point. Jesus elevates a woman, well, right, right to the place that he had her in the beginning. Adam and Eve together in the garden, serving the Lord, fellowshipping with the Lord. You know, what he does is he says, these are not... This isn't a second-class citizen. This isn't a lesser person. This isn't someone unworthy of my touch. And by the way, many of us feel that, well, if it was a great need, I'd bring it to him. If it was something that was impossible otherwise, I would bring it to him. But I feel awkward bringing my little needs to the Lord. Listen, she had a fever. Could have been malaria, but it could have just been nothing. Just a fever, just a temperature. But Jesus looks at needs great and small and shows compassion toward them all. And that's what he's doing here. Paul will later write that in Christ Jesus, there's no male or female or Jew or Greek or slave or free. He's not trying to wipe out, by the way, you know, physical distinctions or even our, you know, natural um, distinctions. There are things that naturally separate us. But, but, but here's what he's saying. In Christ Jesus, those are no longer issues. Male and female stand before him the same way. Guilty sinners in need of his touch. 
needy sinners in need of his care. And then same with slave or free or, you know, it's, it's like you take a, you take a Christian and he's the boss of the company and he's got employees and they both get saved and they go to church together and they worship together. They go to work. The boss is still the boss. He's not wiping out that kind of distinction. But before Jesus, he's saying it's all the same. We all stand before him the same. And so when Paul said that stuff, by the way, if you're unaware, nothing in recorded human history up to that point in written literature would ever suggest such a thing. It was unheard of. It was like groundbreaking, mind-shattering news. Where did Paul learn it? He learned it from Jesus, you see, who dealt with every person according to their need, not their status or their stature or their... What they had to offer, no, he just saw them all the same and he sees us all the same. So he goes in, he touches her, and immediately she gets up and serves him. I love that. So good. Immediately, as soon as he touches her, she sees, I need to serve, I need to function. And I want to encourage you that as we gather together, there are many who come in who are literal, tangible, practical outcasts. They don't feel apart. They, they don't feel included. They, they're just trying to find their way. And, and there are some who were just so beat up and battered like this leper, disfigured by their sin. By the way, leprosy is such a, a picture of sin. Why? The same thing happens. It's like that numbing effect, except for instead of on the extremities, it's on the, the ultimate inside. Our very conscience seared and, and calloused and we do things that we never would have done without feeling shame or, or pain. And, and listen, there are people like that that he draws into our midst. And the question is, are we going to touch them and are we going to love them and are we going to be willing? Because as people come in, those of you who are healthy, who are whole, who are stable, who are secure, you got to know the Lord wants you as the leper did, to go testify and, and as the centurion did, to just rejoice in what God's done and, and as this woman did, to just serve. You know, the very best thing that could ever happen at Calvary Chico or anywhere where God's people meet is when we, we finish up our time in here where we get together to be encouraged in the word and get our marching orders from the Lord, that, that you guys would go out and minister to one another. Do you know, by the way, you don't need one of those badges those guys wear. You know, if you need to pray for someone, you don't need those stinking badges. You just go and say, hey, you look like you could use some prayer. Now, one word of warning, and, and I'm sincere in this. We do need to sometimes be careful. Sometimes people get up late, they're running a little late, they look a little haggard, but they're really okay. And, and if you say, what happened? Well, that happened to my sister just a, a few days ago or a couple weeks ago. Little Kaylee, our two-year-old great-niece, was over with my sister Tina. And Tina went in and tried on a bathing suit. I guess she had some clothes that were a little tight. You know how it can leave some lines and stuff? Well, a two-year-old, they kind of look at you. And Tina comes out and Kaylee looks at her and says, what happened? You know? And if you knew Kaylee, it, it's even funnier because she's just one of those kids. Her mind is sharp and her wheels are turning. And we want to be careful not to look and say, what happened? But we do want to be sensitive and say, hey, everything going okay with you? And if somebody asks you that question, do yourself a favor and them a favor. Don't say, oh, yeah, everything's cool. If it's all cool, that's good. Then the two of you should go together and look for someone who will be honest and say, hey, I, prayer, please. I got this trial or I got this test or I'm just coming through this or I'm concerned about that or I'm waiting for 
the, the prognosis or diagnosis or, hey, there are so many people who come in needy. And if you're thinking there's some professional ministry organized here at Calvary to meet all those needs, it isn't there and will never be. Why? The needs are far greater than any group, volunteers and paid staff could ever meet. It's the body touching one another, ministering to one another, praying for one another. That's what happens here, and that's what he wants to have happen here. Well, finally, we go from these three pictures to the one we conclude with today. It says, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now, we'll deal with demon possession and that whole deal when we get into the, um, you know, the guy at Gadara when the next study. But, but here's the thing. People came bringing others to Jesus. By the way, we know from the other gospel accounts that this was a Sabbath evening and the Sabbath had come and passed. The, the day ended when they saw two stars up in the sky. So a Sabbath day started on Friday evening and on Saturday evening when you could see two stars, you knew the Sabbath had come. There were a couple implications of this. These multitudes had not all come bringing everyone because, well, it was against a lot of work on the Sabbath to carry your friend. The suggestion would be that, that these were people who either couldn't or wouldn't come on their own. There were a lot of people like that. They just don't feel like they will be accepted, that they could be touched, that they will be loved. And so these guys brought them. Now they wait for the Sabbath to end so they're not breaking a law. They bring their friends to Jesus. He's been ministering all day long. Now it's the evening. They're bringing him those who are demon-possessed, who are filled with all kinds of diseases and infirmities. And he touched and healed them all. And with a word, cast the demons out of them all. And he goes to this, this passage, relating it back to Isaiah 53. He took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now listen, there's only one way Gentiles would have been included in the coming kingdom, and that would be through the cross of Jesus Christ. And one of the things the Jews had trouble with was that they could only be included through the cross of Jesus Christ, that it would be that ultimate substitutionary sacrifice who would shed his blood for the sin of every person that ever lived or ever will live. And that's what was happening, and that is what's happening here. But as they bring these people, Matthew takes that passage, which deals not with physical healing or demon possession, and he applies it to those areas. That, by the way, would have been under divine inspiration since all scripture is given by inspiration of God. But you need to know the passage in its context and its primary interpretation would have been this. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Everything in that passage is talking about eternal things, spiritual things, not physical temporal things. But, but Matthew applies it, and, and, and what we see there, as he not implies it, he applies it, is that there is potential in the cross and, and, and in that sacrifice for healing. But we come the way they came. We come to Jesus. We come humbly. We come making no demands. We come simply laying the need out and expecting that he will do the right thing, the best thing, his perfect thing. And so he himself 
took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Listen, if you need prayer for any reason, you should make sure when we conclude our time, you find your way forward. That should be a regular thing. Not for every person, because you shouldn't be in need all the time. You know, when you go to the emergency ward, there are people who are there because they've had an emergency and there are people there who are taking care of them. And we want to make sure we get on the other side of that, that we are caregivers and caretakers, that we are his hands and heart and, and eyes and, and mouths. And, but, but here's the deal. Some are in need of spiritual regeneration and restoration. Some are outcast because of your own sin. And without making any judgment calls, since only God knows the heart, only you and God could really deal with this issue. But the Bible says, if you'll open your heart to him, as many as received him, to these he gave power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. You open your heart to the Lord Jesus, he will come in. You confess that you're a guilty sinner, he'll forgive that sin. He'll restore. He'll restore. So I have one last thing for you, and then we're going we're gonna to pray together. I had trouble getting through this for some reason the first time. I, it makes no sense to me. It's just a poem. But it's called, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eyes a better pupil, more willing than the ear, find counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hand in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver may be wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you in the high advice you give, but there is no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. When I see a deed of kindness, I am eager to be kind. When a weaker brother stumbles and a strong man stands behind, just to see if he can help him and the wish grows strong in me to become as big and thoughtful as I know that friend to be. And all travelers can witness that the best of guides today is not the one who tells them, but the one who shows the way. One good man teaches many, men believe what they behold. One deed of kindness noted is worth forty that are told. Who stands with men of honor, learns to hold his honor dear. For right living speaks a language which to everyone is clear. Though an able speaker charms me, with his eloquence I say, I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. Let's pray. Lord, we know the world looks on and Weaker brothers and sisters, stumbling, struggling brothers and sisters look on. And Lord, certainly you've spoken to my heart and are speaking to many hearts of believers here that we, like you, would touch the untouchable, would forgive and bless our enemies, would do all we can to represent you to them, that we would not only minimize or marginalize anyone in our society, but we would highly esteem them and, and minister practically to them, enabling them to do the same for others. And that we too, Lord, would bring those who either won't come or can't come on their own. Oh, Lord, we know that it's your heart that they be touched by you. And I pray today for any and all in our midst who've never given their lives to you at all, that this would be the day of salvation for them. As you minister to us, as you speak to us, we know you've spoken to hearts. And we know we will be in the kingdom, not because of what we've done, 
because of what you've done. And today, if you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you perhaps, like I did, grew up in the church, know all about Jesus, you've got all that figured out, and hey, listen, it's not how much you know about him. It's if you actually know him. And it's not if you acknowledge that he's the Lord, but is he really your Lord? In Exodus 15, 26, the Lord promised to his children, I am the Lord who heals you. And it is through our faith in Jesus Christ that we become a child of God. And while in scripture we see many examples of physical healing by the Lord, we must remember the greatest act of healing will be done for all who are children of God. And that is the healing of our bodies from the ravages of sin and restoring to us bodies incorruptible by sin and death. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you, and until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.